Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the OCR Underground Show. This is your host, Mike Diebler. And as always, thank you for making this a part of your OCR training routine. If you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, make sure you head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode 99. Before I get into today's episode, I want to let you know about a new sponsor that I'm really excited about. I've been using the FitTrack Dara Scale for quite some time now and have loved it. So super excited to partner up with them. As the saying goes, what gets measured gets managed. And most scales, measuring weight, just giving you an incomplete look at your health and fitness. The Dara Scale is a simple, uh, comprehensive, and accurate scale that gives you 17 health metrics to monitor, including body fat, BMR, metabolic age, body water percentage, bone mass, and much more. Uh, it's easy to understand and explains what each metric means for you to help you make better decisions and see improvements. The app features progress reports, health scores, nutrition logs, and even exercise videos. Uh, FitTrack helps you get a comprehensive picture of your body, which helps you make smarter choices that can have significant impact on body composition and your performance goals. Uh, right now, it's 50% off on their website, but you can get an extra 20% off of that using my code OCR underground. Just visit getfittrack.com and start measuring your progress today. Well, today is going to be a solo episode, uh, so probably a little bit shorter, but wanted to get this out. I have some great interviews lined up, but I wanted to make sure I got an episode out uh, as soon as possible. Um, I just got back from Arizona with a uh, baseball filled weekend, which was really fun. So I had a baseball tournament out there, which was awesome. And uh, we just got to see a ton of baseball with spring training and the World Baseball Classic. So uh, a ton of travel, um, but super glad to be back and, and wanted to get this out. Uh, the weekend before, actually, we held the Deca Strong event at my studio, which is always just such a fun, fun event. Again, we had a great turnout. Um, I highly recommend if you haven't uh tried any of the DECA events. Um, it's super fun. Uh, just whether you can train for the events or not, I think it's a great baseline for just your, your fitness level, um, something that really all levels can do. Uh, but it's great to just get that first one under your belt and kind of just get your get your baseline so you understand where where you can see improvements. And it's just a fun, fun way to train and and uh, kind of take your training to, to another level. Uh, so we did the strong event. As always, we had... Um, a wide range of, of levels out there. We had, if I remember correctly, I think three people finishing under 13 minutes, which is just, just flying. So it's always great to see just those elite guys pushing themselves uh, that hard and, and just how much they, how efficient they are um, with, with everything uh, from, from doing the actual zones to transferring to, to everything. So it's, it's always great to see that. And, and, uh, but all levels, it, it's just awesome to see everybody pushing each other. Um, very motivating and, and fun watching all different levels and, and some really cool stories that you hear along the way. Uh, so I had a, had a great time with that. Um, and, uh, looking forward to our next event, which will be in June. And, uh, as we get closer, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, let you guys know if you're in the SoCal area and want to check out the the Deca Mile event, which which will be our next one. Um, I did want to mention, just in case you haven't 
seen uh, a couple new things or modifications with the DECA events. So if, if you're new to this and, and haven't heard of it before, so the, the DECA is 10 functional fitness zones that you compete for on time probably things that you're you're doing already for the most part just doing it in a fun kind of fitness competition uh, format uh, there's the deck of strong which is just the 10 zones transferring from one to the next as fast as you can the deck of mile is the same thing but with a mile run total so you run 160 meters between each zone and then the deck of fit uh, which is a, a 5k run so um, just a longer run in there with slightly different events so you can do the the strong and the mile at you know, local gyms you can look up on their site uh, deca.fit and find a local event near you um, those are going on all the time so it's it's always a, an easy way to get involved with it and then you can participate in the the deca fit events um, at bigger locations usually convention centers and and compete there um, but the uh you know traditionally you you have a there's a, a weight differences for men and women and you just go through and, and do each one as fast as you can uh, they did make a change, which, um, which I do, I do like, I it, maybe not everybody, uh, is excited about it, but they changed the weight requirements for age groups, 65 plus, so 60 to 65 to 70 and, and over 70. Um, they have decreased the weights needed for, for that particular age group, which, um, I know some people are going to be disappointed because they've been training to to use those weights. So they, um, you know, they, they might have worked really hard to, to be able to do that. But um, I also know it, it discouraged some people because they just weren't able to do do the weights. And I personally had clients in their 70s do it and, and they did the um, the original weights but it was a struggle and they were scared and it was it was really difficult for them so um i think many people if this is going to include more people I'm, I'm definitely all for it so uh for the male divisions essentially they're going to drop down to uh the uh, female weights so for example instead of the 55 pound ram for lunges they're using 33 pounds um the dumbbell farmers carries using uh, 40 pounds instead of 60 pounds. So you're just seeing that transition there. Um, and then for the women, they are transitioning to almost the, uh, the youth weights, but, uh, I think they might be a little bit uh, different, but for example, using a 22 pound Ram for the lunges, um, 10 pound med ball for the sit-ups using 20 pounds for the farmer's carry, um, then using 20 pounds for the med ball toss. And the tank is on um, the level one resistance, uh, but no change in the burpees, still at 22 pounds there. Uh, so just to, to see if, if uh, you know, you're over 65 and this um, seems more reasonable for you, I think it's a great thing to, to try out. You obviously still have the option to do the, uh, the original weights um, without the modification, but they've added these modifications. So if this helps include more people, I think like I said, a, a great thing there. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is the, the team challenge now as well. So each of these events uh, does have a team component. So you can take on the uh, each zone with a partner. And this might be a great option. Again, maybe the, the 10 zones are intimidating. Maybe there's one you just don't feel comfortable doing, have an injury, 
uh, whatever it might be. Maybe you're just not ready to take on the full full 10 zones yet. You can actually split it up with a partner. Um, or we're seeing, you know, people just want to see how fast they can get through it with a partner. So we we saw both at our event, which was really cool. I was, I was excited to do this. Uh, new to us, so I wasn't quite sure how it was going to work out, um, but I thought it went it went really well. But essentially with the partner challenge, you can do this really however you want. Um, it can be a, a male group, female group, or co-ed. And really the main rules are if it's a strong, you know, obviously there's no running, you would just break up the each zone as uh, you wanted to. So for example, maybe you thought you were going to struggle with the lunges. Maybe you did half of them and then your partner would do the other half. Uh, so you can split it up or you could let your partner do the zone one and then you can do zone two. So basically you just had to make uh, hand contact before you started the next zone. So you had to progress together through uh, each of the zones. So as soon as you, you know, did knuckles, high five, uh, whatever, just had to make some type of hand contact. And it was kind of like passing the baton. You can, the next person can can start or or switch, whatever it might be. Uh, how to use the same equipment. Um, so for like a male team or a female team, you couldn't have like two rams set up or use two different rowers. Everything had to be the same. So if you were going to get off the, or try and split up the rower, one partner would have to get off and then the other one have to get back, get on and then go. Uh, so that was you know, just one thing to keep in mind that you have to use the same equipment. Um, you know, you can hand off a roller uh, for the lunges, um, but that would be the same, same equipment there. If you did a co-ed team, you would obviously for the weight differences, you would be able to uh, use the different weights. Um, again, just kind of high five, pass it off and, um, and go through. So it was cool to see the different strategies, some kind of alternating uh, zones, some were splitting up the reps, kind of going by feel when they got tired, they, they switched it out. Uh, so again, had some pretty fast times there. It was fun to see two, two teams going head to head. Um, it'll be fun to see the same thing for the mile and the fit. So the main difference there is with the run uh, for both the mile and the fit, you're going to have to run the first and the last lap together. And then the rest you can split up however you want. So um, <clears throat> again, I think it just adds a cool little new component to to it. So uh, to check it all out, you know, head on over to Deca.fit and you can see all the different events uh, that they're hosting and uh, see if there's one uh, nearby you. So uh, in today's episode, uh, like I said, I'm on my own today, no interview. So I'm just going to go over some research and, and cover the Inside Mike's Mind segment uh, for today's episode. Uh, in my research review, I uh, am going to cover, I think, a, a really cool study looking at um, a high fat meal versus a high carb meal and which one led to better uh, results in a, in a time trial to exhaustion. Um, and I'll get into the details there, but I just think really interesting study, really cool findings. And I think something you definitely can take home and apply to uh, your race day nutrition plan. Uh, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment, I'm going to cover something, uh, a piece of conditioning and, or endurance training. And I know I've talked a little bit about this before, but I had a client um, talk to me about, you know, what's the best way to to improve endurance? You know, what should I be doing? Should I be doing sprints on the assault bike, uh, uh, hill sprints? You know, what, what things should I be doing? And you're probably going to know my answer, but I'm going to cover what I think the best method for, uh, for improving endurance uh, is, is going to be. But before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk about 
protein, and amino acids. When training hard or trying to lose body fat, it's no secret how important protein is. Amino acids are the building blocks that make up proteins for your body to build new tissue like muscle. Amino acids, essential amino acids, are those which your body cannot produce on its own and must be ingested in some form. This is why getting complete proteins are so important for building muscle. Getting enough protein is often a challenge for many individuals. The more active you are, the higher your protein requirements are going to be. Research has shown that adding essential amino acids to a meal was more effective for improving protein synthesis so you can build more muscle tissue compared to consuming protein in a meal without the additional essential amino acids. The Amino Company has made getting adequate amino acids in your diet a breeze with their great formulations. Personally, I add their product Heal to meals regularly to help boost my amino acid intake and cover my bases. While it's a great product for helping recover from injuries and surgery, it's been a great addition to help boost protein in general for myself. Uh, Heal is clinically proven to help manage inflammation levels, three times more efficient at triggering muscle growth and repair than other protein sources, and it's keto-friendly, soy-free, vegetarian, gluten-free, and non-GMO. You can check out this product, as well as the science behind it, by visiting aminoco.com OCR. Don't forget, you can use code OCR to save 30% on your order. I also wanted to let you know about my secret for recovering faster from tougher workouts. Uh, after a tough workout, I can typically tell where I'm going to feel it the next day. After my session, I try and scan my body quickly to see where I'm going to need the most help in recovery. For example, I've been bumping up my mileage and working on my running mechanics, which has really gotten my calves sore and working a little bit harder than I'm, I'm kind of used to. Uh, I know they're typically going to be, be beat up after a long run. So a quick application of Venga CBD's recovery balm has been a game changer for me. After each session, I apply the balm to the areas that have been worked hard or beat up, and I've noticed a huge difference the following day. It's an all-natural beeswax-based topical CBD for muscle and joint pain. I use a patent watered-soluble technology that allows the CBD to sink more deeply into your skin and provide relief, relief and faster recovery. It's enriched with both lavender and eucalyptus essential oils to give it added anti-inflammatory and anti-anxiety benefits. It smells great too, so you aren't dealing with that pungent menthol or peppermint odors that uh, everyone can smell around you from most uh, topicals that you might put on. To check out the Recovery Bomb and other CD CBD products, visit vengacbd.com slash underground. You can use code OCR Underground 25 to save 25% off your first order, or use code OCR Underground to save uh, OCR Underground 50 to save 50% off your first first month's subscription. All right, well, let's get into today's episode. All right, well, let's look at today's research review. We're going to talk about uh, consuming a high-fat meal versus a high-carb meal and see what potentially might be the better option um, before a, a time trial. So I think uh, specifically we can look at this maybe as race day nutrition. Uh, so the title of this study was Significant Effects of a Pre-Exercise High-Fat Meal After a Three-Day High-Carbohydrate Diet on Endurance Performance. So this study was out of uh, Japan. So what they did here was uh, took a group of individuals and they essentially had three 
three groups, but each member did each of the group with uh, each of the different groups um, with about a week off in between each one. Um, so what they had all the participants do was first they did three days of carb loading. So kind of think what, what a lot of people might do before a race, they're going to do a little bit of carb loading. Uh, so what they had participant do was consumed a diet of 71% uh, carbohydrate, 19% fat, and about 10% protein. On top of this, they paired it with low intensity, low volume training. Uh, essentially, the goal here was just to maximize uh, glycogen storage as much, much as possible. So typically what the goal is for carb loading, increasing the carbohydrates a little bit, lowering the, the volume and the intensity of, of exercise to help supercompensate so we have more uh, glycogen available for the performance. Then uh, they would do a time trial. So they fasted for 10 hours uh, the day before the time trial, and then four hours before they were to perform, they uh, were uh, given one of three things. So uh, one group would get a high fat meal. It was about a thousand calorie meal that had 30% carbs, 55% protein, and 9%, uh, excuse me, 55% fat, and uh about 9% protein. Um, then they uh, would do that. So they would take that meal about four hours before they had to compete or perform, uh, or they would give them a high carbohydrate meal. Again, about 1,000 calories, but it was composed of around 70% carbs, 21% fat, 9% protein. So uh, same thing, given that four hours before their, their time trial. In addition to this, three minutes before they were to run, they would be given either a, um, a maltodextrin jelly or a placebo. So they'd give them kind of a high carb little, uh, little gel before they were to uh, perform. So either a, a maltodextrin or, or just a placebo jelly that didn't have anything in it. Um, now with the high fat group, they gave them either the, the maltodextrin, the sugar packet, or uh, the placebo. In the high carb meal, they only gave them the placebo. So those were their three, three options. So they either got the high fat meal with the maltodextrin, the high fat meal um, with the placebo, or the high carbohydrate meal with the, the placebo. Uh, and then they had them do a time drive. So they performed a test to exhaustion at a speed around their, their lactate threshold. Uh, so this was roughly 71% VO2 max, so pretty high intensity, and they just did it for as long as they could. So time to exhaustion just meant until you give up, essentially. And they wanted to compare, based on those three different nutrition strategies, what, uh, what was the, the difference, if, if any. So what they found was in that high fat meal with the maltodextrin jelly, uh, they had a significantly longer time to uh, exhaustion. So they, on average, participants ran around 100 minutes before they, they gave up. Uh, in the high fat meal with uh, the placebo, they, on average, ran 92 minutes. And then the high carb meal ran uh, with the placebo ran for 90 minutes. So we can see a 
uh, pretty significant, ten, about a 10-minute increase in time to exhaustion. The other significant finding in this study was the uh, respiratory exchange ratio was significantly lower in both of the high-fat meal groups. What essentially that means is there is a higher utilization of fat for fuel during, uh, during their effort. So um, what essentially that means is they are going to be uh, conserving carbohydrates, glycogen and glucose for longer because they can utilize fat for longer. So I think uh, this is just an important study to really you know, understand these concepts because think about what a lot of people focus in on for pre-race uh, uh, nutrition it's all about carbohydrates, right? We focus on carb loading, get the carbs in, um, all those things in order to maximize performance. And, and while that's important, um, I think this study showed the benefit of high fat before a race. So consuming the high carb the days up to the race to make sure we have adequate glycogen storage um, is going to be important still. But then the day of the race, a few hours before the race, consuming a high fat meal may be beneficial because we're going to utilize more fat for fuel. Uh, I think an important thing to remember is the body's always going to utilize what's available. We're not going to go into stored um, carbohydrates or fats uh, until we have utilized what's already there, right? So if you eat fat, or if you eat carbohydrates, once you digest that food, that those fats and carbs are going to be released into the blood, those are going to be used first because they're readily available. So if you eat more fats, and this is one of the things with a ketogenic diet, you see that those that follow a ketogenic diet utilize fat a lot better because that's what's there. It's not saying they burn body fat more. It's just saying because you eat fat, you're utilizing fat for energy more, more easily right? If you eat a lot of carbohydrates, you're going to utilize carbohydrates. Now, ideally, we want to be metabolically flexible where we're utilizing fats and carbohydrates. We can bounce back and forth. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Um, and that's uh, essentially what we're doing here because we are, we're loading the body with carbohydrates, but we know that we have a, a finite supply of carbohydrates. So we can't maintain high intensities forever. We're not going to be able to support that with uh, without adding more carbohydrates in there. Um, so the longer we can use fats for fuel, whether it's through body fat utilization or just through fats that we eat in our diet, that's going to be beneficial. So I think the takeaway is play around with your uh, race day nutrition. Now, you may want to play around with this with your training first before you jump right into it race day. Um, but if you're going to do maybe a carb loading a few days before your event, that's that, that might be a great option. But the morning of, try consuming a little bit higher fat intake because we already have adequate carbohydrate stores if we just did carb loading. So we might not really have to focus on too much more carbohydrates. So we, we get the added fat the day of the race. Um, and then right before the race, then we might add a little bit of carbohydrates. So again, there's both fat and carbohydrates easily available to utilize for, for energy of the day of. So I think pretty significant findings there, you know, looking at a high fat, high carbohydrate meal in terms of uh, performance. So how long they were able to last at that intense pace. 
um, but also just looking at the uh, the fat and carbohydrate utilization, right? So uh, helping us utilize fat, become more fat adapted as much as possible so we can conserve carbohydrates for later in the race when we really need them and we're pushing harder or maybe for a specific obstacle that we, we uh, would uh, have an easier time completing using carbohydrates. So, uh, so try that out, try and play around with your nutrition with, uh, with that race day plan and see if this helps you out in terms of uh, energy production and performance. Okay. For today's inside Mike's mind segment, let's talk about conditioning. Um, I, as I mentioned in the intro, I had a client who um, does jujitsu and was just kind of asking, you know, what's the best way to improve endurance? He's like, should I just be on the assault bike doing Tabata intervals? Is that is that the most effective way for doing it? And of course, this is a tough question to answer, and it depends on a lot of different things from the you know the sport that you're training for, um, and logistical things. What do you have access to? And and um, a whole number, how long you've been training, where you are in your season. So it's hard to give a straightforward answer, but I at least want to make sure we're covering some important things that we, we can consider, uh, that hopefully will help you the really that what's the best way to train. And, and if we're talking for, uh, OCR and most endurance sports. Um, I think we, we have to consider a few things. So I know high intensity training gets all the attention now and it's important and it does a lot of great things but hopefully you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you've heard me talk about polarized training and how important this is right so when you look at some of the best endurance athletes out there from multiple sports you see that they don't do one style of training they they do a mixed style of training um and they they kind of spend some time in those high zones but they also spend a lot of time majority of the time in those lower zones. Um, now I do think each sport's going to be different and, um, each person's going to be different. So how much time you should be spending in, in each zone, but it's important to remember they, they all have a unique benefit and there is no one answer. There is no, like you just do this and you'll, you'll be fine. Um, unless that's all you can do for, for some reason. Um, but for most people in most circumstances, I, I think we have to kind of follow this polarized method and really look at what are the benefits of doing high intensity training? What are the benefits of doing moderate intensity training and low intensity training? Um, I talked about this a lot in my book as well to really help people understand, you know, about zones and things like that. Now, um, in my book, I talk about three zones. I tried to simplify it as much as possible. Um, I know a lot of people use a five zone and, and actually I tend to use a five zone uh, method for, for prescribing endurance training and running. Um, but I just think in terms of simplification, if you at least you understand this concept of, of three zones and really why, why zones, why are we even talking about that? Um, and I think it comes down to, or, or it does come down to, we're training for adaptations. That's the key, right? You're trying to get your body to adapt. That's why we exercise. Because if you can stress the body enough and you do it for a long enough time, um, consistently, it will adapt and get better at those, at handling those different types of stress. So you know this, right? You, the first time you ever ran probably hurt, right? Probably didn't feel so good. 
Um, you're breathing heavy, your legs are tired, all these bad things are happening, and it took you a long time to recover. But hopefully you stuck with it, you kept doing it, and then, you know, a couple weeks later, the run wasn't so bad. You notice you're faster, you're actually running a little bit longer, and you bounce back faster, right? Those happen because of very specific physiological changes in the body. And depending on the type of training that you're doing, you will receive certain specific physiolo physiological adaptations. Now, if you're only doing one type of training, if you're trying to do high intensity training all the time, which you really can't do, um, you're getting one type of training. You're not getting the benefits of all the other type of types of training. So I, this is why I originally simplified the three zones, because if you really just pay attention to the big kind of markers that we're trying to stress, right? I think three zones is an easy way to look at it. So you have your, your first zone, which is going to be low intensity. And this is going to, the, the ceiling of this zone is kind of your aerobic threshold where you're, um, you're maximizing your body's ability to contribute energy aerobically. Uh, so you're use, utilizing more fat for fuel and things like that. Uh, it gets to a point when the intensity is high enough, right? Now you need more and more contribution from anaerobic methods for your energy production. So now you're um, not only taxing the aerobic system, but now we're getting into the anaerobic system. So if we look at it just there, if I'm doing low intensity training, I'm getting a lot of work and I'm really stressing the aerobic systems, not so much the anaerobic systems. Now, if I go to the moderate intensity, now I have a little bit of a mixture, but I'm definitely incorporating more anaerobic. Uh, so the more you train those systems, the better they get. So if you're never training uh, more of that aerobic zone, you're not really getting all those benefits that you would see with, with that particular type of training. Now with, with zone two, we kind of ceiling, we hit our ceiling um, at that uh, lactate threshold. So that, that point at which we're uh, producing so much lactate that we see it building up in the blood, which happens at, at higher intensities, and we're not able to clear it as fast as, as it's building up. So we know once we hit that point, we're only going to be able to maintain that intensity for so long. We can't, we can't maintain that pace for forever. So that's where we're getting into our, our zone uh, three, which we would categorize as high intensity training. So um, I know this simplified method, but at least if we understand these different markers, we understand low intensity, moderate intensity, and high intensity. And now we can be very deliberate with how we, we program. So the key is how much time are you spending in each of these zones? And or, or really, I should ask, are you spending any time in these zones? And I think a lot of people don't really know or they're just trying to get in that high intensity all the time. And while sometimes they might be, I think if they really monitored it and measured it, they'd find that they're probably hitting more of that, the upper end of their zone two versus truly hitting the, that zone three, that higher intensity. Um, so this is why I'm such a big fan of heart rate monitoring and really understanding your own metrics. So you know, if you truly are hitting high intensity, if you really are in moderate intensity, and if you're still really still staying low enough intensity to get those those benefits. Uh, so I at least wanted to make sure we we were aware, well, what are the benefits of each? And um, you know, I I think I mentioned in a you know previous episode, I'm in the middle of my 
uh, teaching my exercise physiology course at Miramar College. So all this stuff is fresh in my mind. And these these are the questions that we we discuss and try and work out on how do we write the best program for for potential clients? Well, we need to understand, well, what benefits are we getting from each of these different zones? So if we look at low intensity, and I, I know people don't like low intensity, it, it can be boring. Um, sometimes it's just hard to find an activity to keep your heart rate at these low intensities. But I, I think it's important that we include these. So we're going to see things with, with high volume, uh, low intensity training. We see a lot of benefit with our mitochondria. So mitochondria are the organelles within cells that we see aerobic energy production. So if you have more mitochondria, if they're bigger and more efficient, and, we're, and if we're cleaning up old dying mitochondria, you are going to be better at utilizing aerobic energy or producing energy aerobically, which are all great things. So I know mitochondria get a lot of focus now and for, for good reason. If we can maximize our training's impact on mitochondrial health, this is really going to impact our, our performance. So when we're performing more of this low-intensity stuff, we're going to see an increase in mitochondrial autophagy, which is uh, essentially clearing out old um, dying mitochondria so we can help build new ones. Um, it also helps increase um, what's called biogenesis. So we're going to create new mitochondria. We're going to have more of them which is, again, going to be important for us to be more efficient. So these are specific adaptations that occur within the muscle cells during this, this type of training that don't necessarily occur at, at other intensities. Uh, we also see some powerful changes of the heart. We see actually uh, with um, lower intensity training, we see the, the heart's ability to take in more blood. So we see a stretching of our, our uh, left ventricle, which is the chamber of the heart that the next stop is the muscle, right? So once the blood leaves the left ventricle, it's pumped out to the body to supply the muscles with oxygen, right? So getting oxygen to the muscles is kind of the name of the game. We got to get it there and then we have to get it out of the blood and into the muscles. And these are all the adaptations that we need to occur in order to be more successful in endurance performance. Now, if you're only doing high intensity training, uh, one benefit that you're, you will get is you won't see this increase in the chamber size, but you will see the walls of the, the heart get thicker, they get stronger. So with every beat, you can pump more, more blood out, which is a benefit. But we don't see this uh, improving in the size of, of the chamber. So I, I like to use the analogy of like a sponge. Could Imagine that we had two buckets in front of you. I have two buckets in front of me and you're watching me take one bucket and it's full of water and the other bucket's empty and I have a sponge and I need to get the water from one bucket into the other. So our high intensity training would me just be kind of shoving that sponge uh, quickly into the water, opening it up just a little bit to get a little bit of water in the sponge and then quickly moving it into the other bucket and squeezing it out and just doing that at a very fast rate. That's our heart just pumping really fast and getting stronger and stronger. Um, whereas the adaptation we see with more low intensity training, this is me taking that sponge, dumping it on or uh, dipping it into the water, fully allowing the sponge to take on and saturate as much as possible. Then me pulling the, the sponge out into the other bucket and then squeezing all that water out, right? So this process is slower, right? Because I, I need time for the heart to relax in order to fill with more blood. And if we're only doing high intensity training, that adaptation doesn't really happen. So, um, so these are all the benefits we see with, with low intensity. 
Um, there's also great things like in increasing fat utilization. I know I talked about that a little bit in our research review, but at lower intensities, our primary fuel source is going to be fat. So we want to get better and better at utilizing fat. So again, we can save the, that glycogen and that sugar uh, for later on at higher intensities. So these, these are all the things that we want to see happen with, with low intensity training. Uh, moderate intensity training. So we mentioned that lactate threshold. So here we're going to work on improving that lactate threshold. What I want is my lactate threshold to occur at higher intensities. That means that I can run at a faster pace and not have lactate accumulating. So we're going to produce it less and we're going to clear it faster. And we need to spend some time around that lactate threshold in order for that to happen. And also from a psychological standpoint, I think just getting used to this being uncomfortable for a long period of time, right? It's one thing when you run sprints or short duration intervals. Yes, they're very hard, but you know they're not for very long. These moderate lactate threshold type workouts are significantly longer and uh, they're a little bit more painful because you're going to be constantly pushing for longer periods of time. So I think you get that mental benefit as well, as well as the uh, improvements at lactate threshold. And then we have our, our uh, higher intensity work that, like I mentioned, we have that heart improving its uh, ability to contract and pump more blood out. Um, we do see an increase in mitochondrial function, right? So we already talked about low intensity seems to be important for getting more mitochondria and getting rid of the old mitochondria uh, that we typically see with higher volume, low intensity work. But we also see some mitochondrial improvements at high intensity, and this is improving the, the function. We get bigger mitochondria. So they're, they're able to um, produce energy uh, more effectively because they're bigger in size. And, in all, and also another really important adaptation is improving or increasing capillary density. So we're going to have more capillaries surrounding muscle tissue. So capillaries are where the actual exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide and, and other things happen. So where we get the oxygen from the blood into the muscle. This occurs at the capillaries. The more capillaries you have around a muscle, the more opportunity there is for oxygen to get into that muscle and carbon dioxide to get out, um, which is obviously a, a great thing for improving things like VO2 max. Uh, so we, we typically see this happen at, at high intensity training. So this may, I know this is kind of involved um, and all these terms not, might not make perfect sense, but I at least wanted to really dive into this topic because I want you to be aware of all the differences of these different types of training. I don't prescribe low intensity uh, workouts to torture my clients. I do it for a specific reason and a specific adaptation. So uh, I think hopefully the take home here is understanding, well, how do I put together an endurance program or running program? And you need to include all these different types of training. So it kind of depends on where you are right now. If you're just getting started, you probably want to do a lot more low intensity training. Just build some volume right now. Get some time on your feet. Don't worry about too much other things. You're going to get a lot of benefit just by doing low intensity, high volume training uh, to start. Um, you might want to maybe add in one day of, of high or moderate, uh, and then that's probably it. So you might just do like two to three low intensity workouts per week, and then one either high or moderate intensity workout. I think that's a great starting point, And I really wouldn't mess with that too much uh, until you've been doing that for a while and you see kind of a stall in your in your training. Uh, then you can challenge yourself a little bit more. And maybe if you're only doing moderate, you switch to high. Um, or maybe we do like a, three days a week, we have a 
uh, high intensity day, we have a low intensity day, and we have a moderate intensity day. And um, we were hitting each of these different different zones there. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can do it. We can do like an alternating method, like week one might be more low intensity with one high intensity day, week two might be more high intensity with moderate intensity and kind of alternate back and forth. Um, or we might set up like, uh, if I'm more off season, I just for the next couple months, I'm going to do more primarily low intensity with a few high intensity training days uh, scattered throughout. And as I'm getting more in season, now I'm going to crank it up and do uh, a little bit more high intensity and moderate intensity days. So um, th there are a lot of different ways you can do it. But I think the key is just understanding all of these different training uh, methods are going to be important and strategies that you should utilize all of them, not not just one. So hopefully that gives you some good guidance on how you can set up your, your endurance training program. Uh, think about all the different adaptations. And even if you don't care about that, just understand that they're there. And that's the reason you do get better and see better, better performance. It's because of those adaptations, uh, but they only occur uh, at certain intensities. So if we want to get them the most out of it, we have to include all those different intensities uh, throughout the training. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 99 of the OCR Underground Show. Hope you picked up a, a couple good pointers to help you crush your next obstacle course race. Don't forget to check out the show notes for any links uh, and codes mentioned in today's show. You can head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 99. Make sure you check out the links for the sponsors of the show. Uh, check out getfittrack.com uh, and check out the Dara uh, Smart Scale as well as uh, the aminoco.com slash OCR and check out their awesome amino acid products and also bengacbd.com uh, slash OCR Underground and check out their awesome CBD products. Uh, well, that's going to do it for me, and I will be back soon with another great episode for you. Until next time, keep training smarter.